Hi, uh, welcome to the New Voting Project. My name is Kunal, your host. And today we're here with a very special guest from Alameda County, uh, Mr. Brendan Woods, who is an American criminal defense attorney and an advocate for criminal justice reform here in Alameda County. You're currently the public defender of my county. And yes, I'm still entitled to all my rights, apparently. Um, and, and you served as the- I can't, I can't comment, I don't know, I, I don't- Oh, Maybe you don't know, know. okay. Well, <laughs> as far as I know, I think I am. Uh, and you actually served as the, the president of the California Public Defenders Association. Um, and, and so thank you so much for taking the time to come out, um, be on the show. I understand you're very busy prosecuting and whatnot, but, but I do appreciate it. Let's back up. You said prosecuting? You mean defending, right? Yes, defending. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Too much jargon for lawyers. Um, but, but I do want to ask and just start by asking a little bit about your background, how you got into the, to, to the space of law you know, and being an attorney and touch on your, your college education. Obviously you had to go to law school, that experience. Yeah. So I guess um, my background, uh, I guess I was born in New York, my background, Jamaica, Queens. Yeah. I was the first person on my mom's side of the family born in the States. We're from Jamaica, Jamaica, Kingston, Jamaica. Wow. So my mom came over, she's very young. Um, she was a kid. She had me, she was very young. She was like 16, 17. Um, my biological father wasn't really around, had kind of a different upbringing. Uh, and I guess maybe what got me into this line of work uh, for me was what I saw growing up, um, what I saw happening to my family, uh, my cousins, my uncle, what I saw happening in my community, and just seeing the way this quote unquote justice system operated, um, seeing the way police treated members of my community. I, I figured if I was going to get through high school, get through college, get through law school, just the work I was going to do. Uh, I was going to fight for people who look like me, mm -hmm. um, be that voice for them in the courtroom, make sure their voices are amplified, and really fight to keep them out of cages. That's what we do as public defense. We fight against that system of mass incarceration. So um, that's kind of why I do the work. I've been doing it for about 25 years now. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I graduated law school in 96. I started here in Alameda County as a post bar clerk back then, and I've been here ever since. Um, so yeah, I, I love the job, I love the work. We've talked about that more. I think college, gosh. Um, so early on in my career, uh, my mom, actually, when she was younger, uh, she joined the military. And that kind of got us on our little upward trajectory financially, got us out from where we were. And I always thought I was going to join the military also. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to. I'm gonna go to the Naval Academy. My stepfather went there, I'm gonna do this stuff. And then um, that ended up just not being my route. Uh, uh, I went to actually visit Naval Academy and I saw it, I'm like, eh, I'm not sure about this. <laughs> and then I, yeah. and then in contrast, I visited UC Santa Barbara. I'm like, oh yeah, this, this yeah. is more, <laughs> this is more well, my speed. <laughs> yeah, 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 I would have to agree. I think I like the contrast better over here. Um, but even still at Santa Barbara, I thought I might end up joining the military after I was done there. And then the Gulf War happened, and I really had to think about if we were a nation going to war, um, and my beliefs conflicted with that, uh, would I be able to do that, that, that work? And then really at Santa Barbara, I began to explore more Black Studies classes. Um, I took a phenomenal Black Radicals class. I took a lot of political science classes. And this my, of all places, Santa Barbara, <laughs> my social conscience began to expand more. Um, and I realized that there was just more that I could do um, to fight for my people. 
And that's what I went. That's when I started in the law school path. And I always thought I wanted to be a lawyer early on, but this wasn't a possibility. Like the only reason, the only route I saw was military. Uh, but then um, in college, I began to figure it out and started to click a little bit more. And so here I am. Yeah, here you are. And I think we could all say, at least for me, I think you're doing a wonderful job. Um, and I kind of want to touch upon, there's many facets to politics I see, right? There's a lot of ways to change a, a corrupt system. There's advocacy. You took the legal route. And so I specifically want to ask, why, why pursue law of all things um, when, when you're looking to endeavor to change, right? Um, and, and the law, of course, it's, it's interesting. It's difficult. Um, it's hard to remember for me. <laughs> but, but do explain why you chose law. So, so for me, the, the draw of law for me was public defense. Okay. Uh, I didn't go to law school to do any other type of work, maybe civil rights litigation, but okay. it's really all about public defense. It's all about being with someone um, in court, fighting against the government, fighting for that person. It's about fighting to keep that system from convicting people, fighting from keeping that system from caging black and brown people, which is what it does, like in mass. Um, so that's what it was really about for me. Lots of parts of law school I hated. I, I hated like right. contracts, wills and trusts, corporations, all those classes. I hated them. I, I didn't want to be there for them. Um, I just went to law school to be a public defender. And I figured, at least for me, that was the way I could have a real impact and change on an individual person basis, like one-on-one. -on -one. I'm going to fight for that individual. And then the more I did it, the more I realized I could have a bigger impact um, in politics, maybe in laws and figuring out how the system operates and how to fix it for the most part. Right. And I guess, what have you learned so far? You've been at the public defender's office for 25 years. I, I haven't learned anything. I, I, don't, I don't know anything. Right? Oh, you don't know anything. Right? <laughs> I, I learned a couple of things. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, no, you've been there for what twenty-five years. Yeah. What have you seen? What are the war stories? What are the policies you focused on? Right, because you're a proponent of criminal justice reform. So I, I imagine you know it, it's been it's been an interesting ride so far. It has been, and and to think about the ride. You know, I started here in ninety. As as I started having cases in ninety eight as a associate deputy public defender and thinking about where we were in 98 to where we are now there's been some significant changes in movements so i think about when i first started you know it was still the 90s um it was still kind of the tail end of the crack epidemic um it was still the war on drugs and and people were going to prison at a clip um for possession or selling drugs it was it was it was not uncommon um if you had a drug sale and you were on probation for drug sale, you, it was no questions asked. You were going to prison. Um, it was like fighting against that and seeing how much, how further we've come where we're not sending people to prison for addiction generally, not sending people to prison for drug sales. Um, we've now legalized marijuana. So we've come a long ways in reforms to a certain extent. Um, we still have a long way to go. Um, you know, the system is still, still inherently racist. Um, the system is still inherently flawed. The system is still ran by economics and money. The system still has the underpinnings of white supremacy. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done still. Mm -hmm. But um, compared to where we were when I first started, there's definitely been some progress in the movement. 
um, just thinking about how the three strike laws have changed. There's been lots of changes. So yeah, no, and I'm glad. And what do you think, from your perspective, are some of the ways to go about um, solving those issues? Right, you had mentioned of racism embedded within the criminal justice system, um, white supremacy, obviously corporate influence. Right, these are all things that I'm sure impact the court. Um, and and what can we do? You do as a public defender, and we do as students, as the next class, um, to to kind of help the situation and and strive for that change. You should all become public defenders. Oh, uh, well, that's great career advice. <laughs> <laughs> that's my advice. All become public defenders. All come work here in this office. Um, God, there's so much. And you you mentioned law. I think laws is a great avenue, whether you do public defense or something else. I think about, you know, we have immigration attorneys in our office right now, and they do amazing work um, filing really creative uh, federal legal briefs, um, representing people in removal proceedings, immigration court. They do some really fantastic work. Um, you know, if I had my way, I'd have housing lawyers in our office, too. There, there's so many ways you can use the law to impact people's lives, and so many ways you can use the law or fight in legal arenas where you're fighting racism and poverty. I think that's a big part of what we do as public defenders. We're doing it from the criminal legal side, but there's ways to do it in housing, employment, immigration. There's so many other ways you can have that impact. Um, from my view, I, I think public defenders have a particular access into what occurs in a courtroom, what happens in our jails, and what happened with regards to the way this legal system is so just flawed, corrupt. So using that to create some sort of political momentum to change laws is kind of where we're at now. Um, using that in collaboration with community orgs who've been doing great work for a long time, um, amplifying the voices of our clients and their experiences to get politicians to listen and create new laws. That's kind of where we're going right now. And you have a particular insight to see how we could make things better. So for example, I think about bail reform. Um, that was very big and hot topic the last couple of years. And it was through client voices right. that made it have an impact and made it real for people. You know, we had been talking about it forever, but when like Khalif Browder happened, that was like, okay, people are listening now. And then being able to push legislation on, okay, people are listening now. And this highlighting the fact that the system treats people differently based on the amount of money they have, um, based on your, you could be a really dangerous individual, okay? And have a ton of money and you'll be out on bail, right? Correct. You be someone who was not dangerous at all, but you're poor and black or brown and you're in custody. Um, because you can't afford it. Right, right, because you can't afford bail. Yeah. and. And the way that actually impacts the legal system, that, that person who is in custody because they can't afford to buy their wear out, buy their freedom, uh, most likely will take a plea bargain because of it, right? And you see how the system works. They don't get a chance at a trial um, because they want to get out of jail. So. Yeah, no, and that makes sense. And I, I kind of want to outline what is the relationship that is between the public defender's office and the DA? Like, like what, are, what are the distinctions that these two powerhouses have within the legal system? Because they're obviously both very important posts. And, you know, we were talking about a, a district attorney race, you know, and, and how it's very important for the county um, uh, criminal justice system. Yeah. 
So um, if I look at it at traditionally, the way it's set up, right? The prosecutor prosecutes um, and incarcerates. That's what they do. Right. And the public and the defense. That that's the that's the normal way it's set up. I think both sides have kind of expanded more. You yeah. have on the one side, that's more recent, this progressive prosecuting movement where um, people are seeing alternate solutions to incarceration. They're trying to do something different. Um, they're trying to bring a more sense of something just to the criminal legal system. You know, notice I call it criminal legal system. Um, they're trying to bring some justice there. And then on the public defender side, I think we've always been fighting, but we're being more um, aggressive with regards to the way we fight. And also while we do that, being more involved in the community and bringing this whole aspect of holistic defense, um, which really originated out of New York, the Bronx defenders, where you're trying to attack this system that's based and rooted in white supremacy, based and rooted in poverty, and trying to provide as many services as possible for your clients, whether it be um, social workers, clean slate, immigration, um, client advocates, trying to really uplift the clients out of the situation that they're in. Yeah, no, and I just wanna highlight that distinction is necessary. In fact, I think there's a certain amount of synergy I see right now with the progressive prosecuting movement in the DA side and this new outlook that, that uh, public defenders have. And those two offices working together to ensure that certain communities aren't being um, mistreated um, compared to others is, I think, the most valuable part. Um, and, and I guess I, I want to make a complete non sequitur. And, and now let's talk about something that's very near and dear to my heart, which is voting. Uh, and, and we were discussing, you know, voting and the next election uh, prior to this. But I want to ask. You being a public defender, having a you know a, a lot of recognition about the law, what did you learn? What did you understand about this past election we we underwent in 2020? Like, as not only a community advocate, but just as a as a you know voting and law abiding citizen, what were your thoughts on the year 2020? Uh, I, I think that 2020, of course, was the in my mind an anti. Trump year, the kind of almost a re redemption year, if you're talking about that level, uh -huh. um, where, so, so I remember um, 2016 very well. Right, I think we uh, all do. Yeah, I, I was, but yeah. It, 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 that was, um, that, that was heavy. <laughs> that, that, there's no, that, that was heavy, uh, that was depressing. Um, you know, I, I have two young daughters, uh, they're biracial, and um, their response was at the time, they were a lot younger. I was like, why does America hate us? <laughs> was their response to that election. Um, and and that was heavy. So I think this election was a response to that. Um, you know, I, I am lefty left. I, I, <laughs> I, I prefer more left candidates, but I'm, I, I'm, we're in a better place than we were. Um, a couple of years ago, yeah. and I, and I, the thing is though, um, it also showed that, as we all know, we're a country that's still really, really divided, and um, the divisions feel like they're more entrenched than ever. Uh, I, I can't recall a number off the top of my head, but it was a shockingly high number of Americans still voted for Trump. Um, yes, yes, and that's a little frightening. Yeah, 75 million, like yeah. up, up in that range, 76 million. 
Americans. That's to me. That's concerning. <laughs> okay. Right. Which is why I find very difficult to even fathom this idea of voting rights restrictions. Right. Things we've been seeing since uh, Civil War era Reconstruction. I mean, it's it's not the best that we're that we're circling back in time. Because if I was an advocate of either party, right, yeah. of either party, I would want more people to vote regardless, so that I would have a higher chance of winning an election, right? 76 million people and 80 million for Joe Biden, that's almost 150 million people, like more than 150 million, half of America's population voting in an election. That to me by itself is historic, regardless of the election results. Right. So it, it's it, the, the, the dynamic now is that a certain white majority, right? You and I could agree, is targeting minority communities, marginalized communities, impoverished communities, and removing their inherent civil rights as, as, as citizens, as voters. Um, and I mean, I, I don't like going backwards. You know, the, as historians, we say the pendulum always switches. I don't like that. <laughs> but that's the playbook, right? That, that, yeah. that was the playbook. It, it, it was the playbook. The slogan was make America great again, right? Yeah. I mean, make America racist again, make America white again. I mean, you can, we, we can put all those phrases there. Um, it, the whole play was to go back in time. And now they're trying to do that. They're trying to um, bring things back. And I'm actually really concerned. I think, think about today, uh, you know, Roe versus Wade was being argued in front of the Supreme Court today. I mean, it was like, like and we talk about the power of voting. Um, the, the Supreme Court, is the way it is right now because of freaking Donald Trump. I mean, I mean, I mean, really, and we're going to see, I, I do believe that his biggest impact, probably for generations, is going to be the judicial nomination, right? The Supreme Court, the federal nominations, um, yeah. the lifetime nominations he's made to the bench. It, it's going to shape justice for a very, very long time. And I think people don't under stand or they don't or, or they underestimate the impact that'll have yeah yeah so now it's 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 voting rights and civil rights now it's going to be women's reproductive rights right, right? soon right. enough i'm you know i, I don't know what's going to happen are we just going to have it's going to be illegal to be black in america next next week my watch man <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you and, and it's going to be it's in it's incorrigible to see, but I think it's it's harder to imagine that this is the state of where, I, and it's harder for my generation, right? They call us Gen Z. I don't really know what that means, but as far as I can tell, uh, we're in a bit of a pickle, moving in as the next class of voters. Um, and, and so I, I kind of want to bring this back to a localized perspective, and and ask: Do you think it's fair if young people like myself? earn the right to vote at an earlier stage than 18 um, and, and therefore can, can translate into direct impact in our, in our local communities. Interesting. Right? These are great questions. I know I made them myself. <laughs> Should it be lower? 16, 17, Oakland vote, you know, Oakland youth vote, Berkeley yeah. votes. Um, and Maryland, I believe they, they did it as well. I think Oakland is specific to the school board. Uh, but, but do you- so, uh, so for me, I'm like, yes, hell yeah. But I'm trying to think what the cons are, the, the, the opposition side is to it, right? I'm, I'm like, 
for me, I'm like, yes, I like that idea. I love it. I think it's appropriate. Yeah. Um, especially from having a 16 year old daughter and talking to them and just uh, knowing their politics and knowing um, what they believe and how they see the world. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I love it. So I'm trying to think of the cons to it, right? Uh, so the cons could be not enough life experience, I'm like, eh, not true. Not um, true. In most cases, 16 year olds are emancipated, right. understand the law, can drive in, in certain states. I mean, so it's the, the con, not high school educated, but that's the, that shouldn't be a requirement. And, and, and so and I, right. I, I haven't even gotten to high school civics education, right? And, and the idea of that being expanded so that we not only learn about how civics works, how to actually vote. If you ask the average teenager, how do you vote? Not the importance of voting, but how do you vote? You'll probably be left with a blank face because most people don't understand the registration patterns, where you need to be, what precincts you need to go to. Um, it's also why I always recommend folks to become poll workers, right? Because I, I think there's a certain synergy that works uh, with, with civics education and earning that right to vote, right? You, you, you learn through practice. Um, I mean, I'm sure law school was great, but it, it shit really hit the fan when you probably got your first case, right? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I think. Um, yeah. And uh, no, I think I, I was thinking doesn't exist anymore but when prosecutors could direct file minors charge them directly as adults and right to court, i'm like well, shit if you can do that then they should be able to vote right, right. <laughs> and and the best part is you won't truly understand the the supposed disadvantages that that the side will bring unless it's implemented right unless we give it a shot at, at a at a large scale we won't be sure if it can actually have the impact that you and i want or if it's actually negative, right? It needs to be tried. It needs to be um, analyzed afterwards. Um, and 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 that's that's kind of why you know we we should all be voting rights. You said everybody should be a public defender. I think everybody should be a voting rights advocate because they're under attack. Um, and 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 so so that's that's kind of my little spiel for the day. Um, I do want to ask though your advice um, to my generation, Gen Z. Uh, what can we do? To, to make an impact on voting, on elections, on policy, on law? Um, and, and how do we reach certain communities that feel alienated, exhausted, um, and, and uh, apathetic towards the political process? So I'm going to take that question a different route. Okay. Based on our conversation a little while ago, okay? Because uh, I think we can debate this one for a bit. Um, your interest and okay. your priority is voting, right? I mean, that, that's the, you're all about that. That's kind of probably, the, if you're talking about one of the most important rights, maybe the most important right people have, right? It's for you, it's the right to vote. Correct. I might take it different. I might say it's the right to serve on a jury. jury. Interesting. I might say that is the most important right, because if we compare voting rights to the right to serve on a jury, are you compelled to serve? Are you forced to serve on a jury? Are you summoned to come and show up? If you don't come and show up, there's a warrant issued for your arrest, right? Are you summoned to vote? No, you have a choice with that. But the way we are set up in this nation, we have prioritized serving on a jury. Mm -hmm. The people want to get out of jury service all the time. Right, yeah. All the time. They don't want to do it. So, but think about how important it is. You can walk into a courtroom and have an immediate impact on someone's life 
right then and there, right then and there. And when we talk about diversity on juries, even in a diverse county like Alameda, our juries aren't that diverse. It, it, you're hard pressed to find more than one black person on a jury in Alameda County. There are many of jurors, jury trials in criminal cases where the client is black and there's not a single black person sitting in judgment of them, okay? Um, that has to change. So I would, for me personally, I prioritize that. Um, I prioritize the right to serve as jurors. I prioritize diversity on juries and just the importance of it. Uh, you know, last year, you know, everyone, everyone was out there protesting, right? We're all saying Black Lives Matter. We're saying the system is broken. We're saying um, we need criminal justice reform. Uh, we're saying all these things. They're saying there's systemic racism. But then when push comes to shove, we're not showing up in the courtrooms to change that with a single vote in a jury trial, right? And that's how we can have an impact. I mean, right. boom, right there, immediately. I, I just want to say the operative word there was a single vote on yes. the jury, right? Uh, within the jury, right? From what I understand, and you're the lawyer here, so I'm going to rely on you uh, sure. to, to, for kind of accuracy. What I find most important about voting rights is that it is intrinsically connected to every other issue possibly imaginable, right? Voting. If I vote in my election for mayor's office, and, and I support a candidate who I know is going to help develop public infrastructure, my roads will be built. My, you know, my, my public space will have a park. Like there will be things for me to do in my community. For instance, in a district attorney race like Pamela Price, um, who I've also had on this show, um, now, I, now I, I support a candidate, a viable candidate with a proven track records of civil rights. And I can understand that at the district attorney level, she will carry on those rights and she will ensure that everybody is treated equally as a district attorney, right? I, I don't know if I can say that about the current district attorney, but I can say that about her, right? So me voting in elections local and at a larger scale, right? If I don't vote in a federal election, if my candidate doesn't win or a you know supposedly good candidate doesn't win, then the federal money that's going to help support my roads won't come in. So I I do I do think that jury duty Right. And this is something, you know, I have to convince my parents to go and do. Right. They'll get their little postcard in the mail is is imperative, but still connected to voting rights, because your choice to vote for candidates, your choice to uphold a fair or unfair legal system in your district attorneys, your choice to vote for the board of supervisors that appointed you to public defenders is connected to your choice to being a juror and serving on a bench to help or save or to hurt somebody's life. It's, it's all connected. Yeah, so, uh, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna agree with you there. I think about some of the reforms that we've gotten done to increase diversity on juries would not have been done without having the proper elected officials to do right. it. Elected officials is, and, and it's something I recommend. You know, there are campaigners like myself, there are average voters, um, but there are also people who I would think need to run for office because we as advocates, we can only influence a candidate or an elected official to a certain extent. We don't have, we don't bear that choice. But you as an elected official, are you in a position of power actually have that choice. It's almost tangible. You can almost feel it and you can make a direct impact. So it's the one thing I recommend to everybody is if when in doubt, run for office, right? Get that exposure because if you win, 
the choices is on you, right? You have all the research, you have all the numbers, you have all the great buzzwords, you have all the great, um, you know, policy objectives, but you can't do anything about it until you're, 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 in, a, you're in the room where decisions are made, right? Um, much like a courtroom, decisions are made, you have to show up. Um, so yeah, no, but good, interesting. You're the first person to counter me uh, <laughs> and do a counterfactual and I have to argue my case. <laughs> Oh God. <laughs> anyway, um, um, so yeah, no, back on. What, what is your advice to my generation? How would you go about saying, this is the next generation that's gonna have to deal with all this shit. Um, what can we do about it? Um, I, I think a lot of things you're doing already is great. Um, you talked about voting, uh, mobilizing, messaging, um, being engaged. I think this generation right now is much more engaged than my generation was at the same age. Um, right. We were, I don't know, playing kickball or some shit. We weren't, <laughs> we weren't as engaged and, and people come down hard on social media. I think it has its flaws, but God, as far as a way of communicating and connecting and pushing out messaging, I think it's really, really valuable. And you're able to connect across um, lines pretty quickly. And you're able to mobilize a lot quicker than you were ever before. And just the information that's available to you um, about issues, it's pretty, it's, it's stunning um, how fast you can communicate and mobilize. I think if I had to give advice to this generation, I think number one, be informed, number one, vote, and try to be proximate to the issues, um, be close to them, issues you care about. Uh, I don't know if you want to be volunteering at an Ella Baker Center or an Urban Peace Movement or some group like that, um, or even ACLU, but just being proximate. And then the um, final piece is, is not uh, giving into fear, um, because because fear is the biggest thing that has stoked division, that has stoked racism, that has stoked mass incarceration, uh, and just just being aware and not giving into that, because I can almost feel. Um, the pendulum moving the other way right now, uh, where people are becoming more fearful of crime and the media is betraying things to happening a certain way. And, and I, I almost feel um, it happening right now. And people are going to begin to abandon the reforms that have been made and the focus on decarceration. And that, well, you know, maybe the other shit is going to work. Maybe we need to give police more funding. Maybe we need to- right, Maybe we need more officers on the ground. Exactly, exactly, exactly. No, I understand. I see it. I've, I've seen it for a while. It's been the last couple months. It's been interesting to see, especially when the chief of police gives a CNN interview. Um, it's, it's hard. It's hard to tell why that was motivated. Um, but no, no, thank Thank you so much. But we, we, and we just to go back and then we think about just the amount of money that we already spend on policing, prosecution, uh, probation, and caging people. And if we're able to redirect that funds to community, um, community solutions, uh, we, we'd have a, a different place, right? We'd have a different, different place. Um, the old solutions don't, have, have never worked. And we've got to stop relying on them. Yeah, agreed. I concur, Your Honor. Uh, <laughs> but, but in any case, how can, how can viewers stay updated on what you do as a public defender? This is the only part where you can do self-promotion and, and plug your social media. Um, and, and whatnot. I'll link it all in the description. 
Yeah, I, I guess if you want to stay updated on me, Twitter's the best way. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, mostly Twitter. Uh, I'm on. I'm pretty active Republican on Twitter. Um, there are other defendants who are pretty active too. That's probably our best mode right now. Hopefully, we'll have a newsletter out next couple months. Uh, it's on the on the to do list and updating our website and so forth. But probably Twitter's the best way. Okay, at Brendan Woods. Brendan Woods PD. I think it's Brendan Woods PD. Yeah. Okay, at Brendan Woods PD. Perfect. Um, but no, no, thank you so much for, for coming and answering questions and then asking me questions about the questions that I asked you. <laughs> no, I, I, I do appreciate it. Uh, the, the, the perspective, the insight, um, you came highly recommended and I think you really delivered. Um, so, so thank you so much. Um, and, and next time, if you ever decide to run for another or, you know, decide to run for an office, not public defender, um, then, then. Do do come back on the show. Tell us a little bit more. Um, but but we, we support the work that you're doing currently. Appreciate you. Thank you. And yeah, no, thank you so much. Uh, wish you the best.